Genesis. We have come as, as far as uh, chapter 32 this morning. So if you would, um, if you would turn with me this morning to uh, Genesis chapter 32. And God's word reads, So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of the place um, Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, The Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children." For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged there that same night, and he took what came to his hand at a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me, and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that he goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, perhaps, He will accept me. So the present went out over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you this morning, Lord, for the reading of your word. And God, would you just add your blessing to your word this morning? Would you speak? Would you minister to us? Lord, in these few short minutes, Lord, give us ears to hear. Lord, give us Lord, minds to to comprehend what you have for us. So, Lord, pour out your spirit this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jacob, Jacob has spent the last 20 years of his life in Haran, right, that he has been serving Laban, right? That he served Laban seven years for Leah, which, thinking he was serving for Rachel, he then served being deceived by Laban, right? He served another seven years for Rachel. And then he served 
a final six years for his livestock. You know, we saw in chapter 31 that, that the Lord has told Jacob it's time to go home. Right? It's time to go back to the promised land. It's time to go back home. We saw last week in Genesis 31, verse 43, that the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. God says it's time to go home. It's time to go back to the land of your fathers, the land of promise, the land of Canaan. And God says, I will be with you. So Jacob has packed up. And he is heading back to Canaan. But we remember that on the way back, right, he was confronted by Laban. Was he not? Did not Laban accuse him of stealing his household gods? And we learned that it was in fact Rachel that had stolen the household gods. It was not Jacob. But nonetheless, Jacob was accused of it. He was confronted by Laban over, over these household gods. And the matter gets resolved there in, in the area of, of Mizpah that, that Laban and Jacob uh, make a covenant together. And so Jacob is on the road once again, heading back to Canaan. And just as Jacob was, was confronted by by Laban on his way out of Haran, we're going to see this morning that Jacob is going to be confronted four more times on his way back to the land of promise. Now, God clearly told Jacob, right, when we just read it in, in, in chapter 31, verse 43, God clearly told Jacob it was time to leave. It was time to go home. It's time to go back to the land of promise. After 20 years of service. It's time to go back to the land of promise. I mean, what a blessing, right? I mean, imagine the excitement he must have had knowing he's finally going to get to go back home. He's finally going to go back to Canaan, that his service unto Laban is over, right? And it's been instructed by the Lord that it's over. How blessed he must have felt knowing that God himself has instructed him to go home. Doesn't it feel good to know that we've heard from the Lord? Doesn't it feel good to know that he has instructed us? That we know what his instructions are and that Jacob could return to the land of his fathers. But for Jacob, for Jacob, this journey was problematic. Right from the beginning, the whole journey was, was filled with one confrontation after another. And how often, how often is that our experience? Right? We've heard from the Lord. We know what his instructions are. We know what he's called us to. We know how he's gifted us. God speaks and gives clear instructions I have a plan. I have a course of action. I have a direction to go. All Jacob had to do was go from point A to point B, right? To go from Haran to Canaan. The fact of the matter is, is that with God, getting from point A to point B is rarely easy. It's rarely straightforward, Oftentimes, there are many confrontations along the way, conflicts that happen in our journey. Even though it was God who has put us on the path, even though it is God who has instructed us, it was God who set us in motion. Remember, God told Jacob, it's time to go home. It's time to leave. It's time to go back to Canaan. But you know, God never said it was going to be easy. So be encouraged this morning. 
that it's not always easy, it's not always straightforward, but that he has instructed us. He is leading us, he is directing us. So this morning, if you are a note taker, a pencil pusher, we have four points this morning, four confrontations that Jacob has on his way back to Canaan. So let's look at this first one this morning. The first point that we have, the first confrontation that Jacob has is he is confronted by angels. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 32. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place uh, Mahanaim. So Jacob, after being confronted by Laban, right, in chapter 31, right, after being confronted about stealing the household gods of Laban, Jacob has started moving again, right, there in verse 1. So Jacob went on his way. And it says, the angels of God met him. So Jacob's confronted by the angels of God. Notice his response. He's confronted by these angels. And in verse 2, Jacob saw them and said, this is God's camp. This is God's camp. Jacob recognizes that God is dwelling with him. This is God's camp. Remember, God told Jacob to go home, but not only did he tell him to go home, God said, I will be with you. I will be with you, Jacob. You're not going alone. You're not going by yourself. Jacob, I am with you. Do you acknowledge this morning that God is with you? That we are dwelling with him? That Jacob sees these angels, that these angels have met with Jacob, and he says, this is God's camp. He calls the place Mahanaim, right, which means in Hebrew, double camp. It means double camp. Jacob is basically saying that this is God's camp, this is where God is dwelling, but that I am going to dwell with him. So he calls it double camp. I'm going to camp here with God. Are you dwelling with God this morning? Are you camping with him on this journey that we call the Christian life? Or are we trying to go at it alone by ourselves, in our own strength, in our own efforts? See, Jacob, who has been this kind of lone ranger, right? He's been this guy that wants to go at it himself, right? He's very clever. He's very strategic. Conniving, right? His name means deceiver, supplanter, heel catcher, right? He's been going about getting things his way, the way he wants it. But Jacob is coming to a place in his life where he's beginning to have a reverence for God. He's beginning to have a healthy fear for the Lord. He comes to this place and says, this is a double camp. Not only does God dwell here, but I'm going to dwell here with God. And that these angels have met him. Psalm 34, verse 7 says, The angels of the Lord encamp, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. And I believe Jacob is coming to a place in his life where he's developing a healthy fear of the Lord, a healthy reverence of who God is and who is instructing his life. Jacob is growing into a healthy relationship with his Lord. And so the Lord has sent angels into his life to comfort him, 
I mean, he just came off a very difficult confrontation, right? He thought he was done with Laban. He thought he was leaving. And yet Laban comes and pursues him because his wife Rachel had taken the household gods. And so in that time of distress, right, as he's leaving again, once again, heading back to Canaan, God comes and he sends his angels to comfort him. We remember that in Hebrews 13, 2, right, it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwillingly entertained angels. Right, that God sends angels in our lives, and sometimes we don't even know it. Sometimes we don't even know it. It's that stranger that we met with that encouraged us, that lifted us up. Hebrews 1.14 also says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Jacob has been confronted by these angels to bring encouragement, to bring comfort after a difficult confrontation and to prepare him for more confrontation ahead. And isn't that encouraging that that's what the Lord does in our lives? Right, that we're on a journey in life. And it's not always easy. It's not always convenient. Sometimes there's confrontations along the way. Sometimes there are conflicts, difficulties, trials. But we don't go alone. Right, that the Lord dwells with us and that he sends his angels to comfort us, to encourage us. God is encouraging Jacob, and I think in part because he is coming to a place where he wants to encamp with his God. He wants to dwell with his Lord. And so too in our lives, we should want to be dwelling with him, to be encamped with our Lord and with our Savior. Well, let's look at the second thing we have this morning, the second confrontation And it's the fact that Jacob is now going to begin to prepare for his confrontation with Esau. Right? He's heading back into Canaan. He's heading back into the land of his fathers. And he realizes that my brother is there. My brother Esau is there. And, uh, you know, the last time Jacob and Esau were together, it wasn't going so well for the two of them, was it? So Jacob needs to prepare for this confrontation. Picking up in verse 3, it says, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. And then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, we, have, or we came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you. Oh, and with 400 men that are with him. So Jacob is setting out to appease his brother Esau. He is preparing for this confrontation. Jacob sends these messengers out to Esau. And notice what Jacob does. Right? Jacob sends these messengers out and he tells them, tell Esau, my Lord. Right? Call him Lord. And, he, and Jacob refers to himself or tells his messengers to refer to himself as your servant. So Jacob is saying, You are my Lord and I am your servant. That Jacob is humbling himself before his older brother in hopes to appease his brother. He's also informing his brother Esau that he has flocks. He has servants. He has things that he can offer Esau in hopes that Esau won't try and kill him in hopes of granting favor. Because if you remember, 20 years ago, before he went to Haran, 
the last time he saw his brother Esau, Esau wanted to kill him, right? Esau wanted to kill him for taking his birthright, for taking his blessing. So, it's perhaps a little understandable that Jacob is a little nervous about seeing his brother again after these 20 years. And then I love, he's like, go, go tell my Lord that your servant has flocks, has servants, that I, have, that I might find favor in your sight. So the messengers go out, and then they come back, and I'm like, yeah, we, we saw Esau, we met with him. Oh, and by the way, Esau's going to come, and he wants to meet you, and he's coming with these 400 men. You can almost hear it, right? Jacob's gulp. Uh, why does he need 400 men? What's that all about? So it says there in verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And so what does Jacob do? He divides the people that were with him, the flocks, the herds, the camels. He divides them into two companies. And he says, if Esau's coming to the one company and he attacks it, the other company, which is left, will be able to escape. So Jacob does two things, right? That he responds here in, in fear. He responds in distress, and he does two things. The first thing we see him do is he divides everything he has into these two companies, right? He splits all of his possessions into two separate companies. The idea here is that if Esau's coming, and if he's coming with 400 men, if Esau's coming to attack me, he'll only attack one company, right? And then hopefully I can escape with my life and maybe at least half of my stuff, right? He's kind of putting it out there as a litmus test to see what kind of greeting Esau's gonna have. And if Esau comes and starts attacking at least half of his stuff isn't with the other half. But we see the other thing that he does. The other thing that Jacob does is he prays. Jacob stops to seek the Lord and to ask the Lord for favor. And let's notice his prayer. In verse 9, it says, Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he comes and attacks me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob divides his company, right, into two companies. And then he begins to pray. He begins to seek the Lord. And I think... You know, there's, there's some wisdom, there's some strategy on Jacob's part by dividing his wealth into these two companies, right? It's, it's strategic, it's smart on his part. However, in my opinion, Jacob should have prayed first. Notice the first thing he does is he responds in fear, he responds in distress. He says, I'm afraid of my brother Esau. I'm afraid the fact that he's coming with 400 men and I don't know what his intention is. And he immediately disperses his wealth into two companies. Then he prays and starts seeking the Lord. And isn't that so true how we respond in our own lives? So often something happens and then we spur into action. Then we're like, hey Lord, can you bless this thing that I just did? Can you deliver me? Can you help me with this? Jacob, I think, should have prayed 
first. So too in our own lives, we should pray first. That our first response, our first action should be to pray, should be to seek the Lord. How often do we respond to a situation and we begin to execute our plans? Then we pray and ask God to bless the plan that we just put in place. Instead of first praying and seeking the Lord and seeking what perhaps God's plan was. To perhaps see what he wanted us to do. To say, God, what would you have me do in this situation? See, before Jacob divided anything, before he started responding, before he, he spun into action, he, he should have went to the Lord first and said, God, I heard you. You told me to come back to Canaan. You told me to come back to the land of my fathers. And you said that you would be with me. I mean, you hear that in his prayer. I'm not necessarily saying that Jacob was wrong to divide his company. We're not specifically told that it was a sinful thing that he did. But I think he should have included God first. Given God the opportunity to say, Jacob, you don't have to do anything. Or maybe, Jake, maybe God would say, Jacob, hey, why don't you divide your company into four parts? You know what I mean? The, fact that I'm, the point that I'm trying to make, right, is that Jacob did something before he sought his father in heaven. Right, before he sought counsel from the God who sits on the throne who is sovereign over his life and who has this all planned out, right? God already told him, I want you to go home. It's time to leave Laban and I'm going to be with you. But the good news, right, is that he does pray. He does seek the Lord. So I'm not trying to look down on Jacob because he does seek the Lord. Like I said, I think he is coming to a healthy place in his relationship with the Lord, right? He does come to a place and he says, God, the father of Abraham, the father of Isaac, the Lord who said to me, right? He acknowledges in his prayer, God, you told me to go home. You told me to return to my country and you told me that you would deal well with me. Notice the humility Right? I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. Right? That he's coming to the Lord in humility. The content, the content of Jacob's prayer is that he, acknowledge, he acknowledges who God is. He acknowledges what God has instructed him to do. He bows before the Lord in humility. And notice too, he calls on the promises of God. Right, he says, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said... Right? Here's the promise of the Lord. You said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. Right? That Jacob is saying, God, you promised that you'd do well with me. You promised that my descendants, the descendants of Abraham, the descendants of Isaac, the descendants of Jacob, would outnumber the stars in the sky, would outnumber the sand of the sea, that they would be a multitude that cannot be numbered. See, Jacob knows the promises of God and is reminding God of his own promise. You know, when we come to the Lord in struggles, in difficulties, in whatever it is, in this path, this journey that God has us on, that we too can call on the promises of God and we can know that they are yes and that they are amen. 
What a model for our own prayer life. Right, to acknowledge who God is, to acknowledge his greatness, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That we could acknowledge what he's called us to do. That we can bow ourselves in humility and we can call upon his promises. And so, it says there in verse 13 that he lodged there that same night and he took what came to his hand at a present, uh, as a present for his brother Esau. So he takes, in verse 14, he takes these 200 female goats, these 20 male goats, these 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. And he delivers them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and he says to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? That you shall say to him, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. Behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the droves, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him. But he himself lodged that night in the camp. So now after Jacob prays, right, he now sends these gifts to his brother Esau. Right? And, the, and the gift that he's given is 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 200 ram, uh, sorry, 20 rams, 30 camels, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 foals, and an unspecified number of colts. So 550 animals plus however many colts there were. And notice the pattern that he uses. Jacob has each type of animal sent, right? So he sends off the the female goats and the the male goats in these these separate um, successive droves. So he sends a drove of animals out with a servant and says, you're to tell Esau that these are your servant Jacob's as a present for you. Oh, and, and Jacob is behind us. And then the next gift comes, and that servant says, these are your servant Jacob's as a present for you. Oh, and Jacob is behind us. Right? And then one after another, all these animals keep showing up as a gift, as a present for Esau. Again, all as an effort to prepare for this meeting, for this confrontation with Esau. All in an effort that Esau might spare his life. You can see how strategic he's being, right? Separating his companies, right? Putting things in different areas and then sending ahead of them this big gift of animals. So he'll find favor. And so... In verse 22, it says, He arose that night, he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. So he sends out this gift of 550 plus animals to Esau. And then that night, he takes his two wives, his two maidservants, the rest of his stuff, and he kind of secretly crosses over the the, the Jabbok River. So he sends this gift and he tells all of his servants, right? Jacob is behind us. Right? This is a gift for you, Esau. Jacob is behind us. But Jacob doesn't go. Instead, he takes his two wives, his two maidservants, his, his 11 sons. Um, Benjamin hasn't been born yet. We'll see that in a couple chapters. He takes the rest of his possessions and sends them over Jabbok. But Jacob 
doesn't go. He sends them over, but he stays put. He's all by himself. So he sent his gifts to Esau. He sent his family on ahead of him. And he stays put. Do you see the fear in his life? Right? He's spinning all these plates. He's making all these things happen, hoping that Esau is not going to kill him. Hoping that he's going to find favor with his brother. Remember verse 7 tells us that Jacob was greatly afraid and greatly distressed. Question. Is there any reason for Jacob to be afraid? Is there any reason for him to be distressed? No, right? God has sent him back to Canaan and God said, I will be with you. I'll be with you. And if God is with you, what do you have to be afraid of? What reason do you have to be distressed? How often do we do this very same thing? How often do we tend to operate in fear? How often do we tend to concentrate on our own plans, on our own devices, instead of trusting in God, instead of trusting in Him, the one who put us in motion, the one who's seated on the throne, the one who is sovereign? Right, that we should know that he has our best in mind. Again, God didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say it was going to be convenient. He didn't say it was going to be a straightforward trip from A to B, from Haran to Canaan. But he is sovereign, and he did say, I will be with you, that it will be well for you. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. All the promises of God are yes and amen. He has no reason to fear. And in like manner, we have no reason to live in fear. Listen, Listen to me carefully this morning, okay? Either, either we have faith that God is going to work everything out according to his perfect plan and according to his perfect will, or we don't. Either we have faith in him, or we don't. Either we believe his word, or we don't. There really isn't any middle ground there. It really is that simple. And how we live our lives reflects what we believe. How we live our lives reflects who we're putting our trust in, whether or not we believe God's plan. So I have to ask this morning, are you living in fear like Jacob is? Are you angry? Are you freaked out in this crazy world we're living in? Do you have any fingernails left or have you chewed them off? Do you have any hair left? Well. Jacob's life so far has not been reflecting complete trust in God. But that is going to change. Which brings us to the third confrontation that Jacob has. The third point this morning is that Jacob is confronted by God himself. Jacob is confronted by God. Look at verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he 
uh, as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, what name? Uh, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place uh, Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over uh, Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and that muscle shrank. So again, Jacob has, has spun his plate, right? He's divided his company into these two parts, right? He sent this massive gift to his brother Esau, preparing for this confrontation, and he gets a different confrontation before, right? Before he meets with Esau, God confronts Jacob. He's all by himself, and this man shows up and wrestles with Jacob all night long, right, until the break of day, until morning. And the prophet Hosea tells us who this man is. In Hosea chapter 12, verses three through five, it says, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, so we know we're talking about heel catcher, we're talking about Jacob, and in his strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. That is, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorable name. Hosea tells us that Jacob is wrestling with God. The angel, it says. So Jacob is confronted by God himself and begins to wrestle with God. You see, Jacob didn't start out wanting anything from God, but God wanted, uh, God wanted something from him. God wanted all of Jacob's proud self-reliance, his fleshly scheming, and God came to take it. And God came to take it by force, if necessary. You see, Jacob, up until this point, is still scheming. He's still conniving. He's still trying to find some way to preserve his life. And God says, I've come for that self-reliance. I've come for that scheming. God is saying, no, no, no. You need to be reliant on me, on who I am, on what I told you to do, and the fact that I told you that I'd be with you. You know, we might ask the question this morning, how did Jacob ever manage to keep up his struggle throughout the entire night? How did Jacob manage to wrestle with God Almighty all night long to where it says that he seemed to prevail. But in truth, in truth, some of us have been wrestling with God much longer than that, have we not? We need to come to the same place that Jacob did. We need to come to a place where God changes our name, changes our name from supplanter, from deceiver, from heel catcher, and changes it to Israel. Israel, which means God rules. It means God prevails. Israel means governed by God. And that is the place Jacob needed to arrive at. And that is the place that we too need to arrive at. We need to arrive at a place 
where we are ruled by God, to arrive at a place where God prevails in our life, where we are governed by him. And God will get us there, even if it means he has to get us there by force. In other words, Jacob is no longer ruled by his flesh, but he is now ruled by God himself. So this morning, are you governed by God? Are you ruled by God? Or are you still being ruled by your flesh? Are you still being ruled by your emotions? Is your life still being dictated by fear, by anger, by regret, by worry? You know, and sometimes it might seem like we're winning this wrestling match. I mean, after all, it looked like Jacob was winning the fight. The truth is, God changed that in an instant, right? He wrestled with God all night, but all God had to do was extend one finger and touch his hip, and it was all over for him. That was it. God touches Jacob's hip, and it's dislocated. Just like that, the fight was over. This whole time, Jacob is trying to escape his brother, appease his brother, find some way to find favor in his brother's sight. His brother's coming with 400 men, and God just crippled him. Where can he run now? He's crippled. His hip's out of joint. And this is the point in which Jacob finally comes to the end of himself. He now has no other choice but to rely on God. Jacob's been humbled. And he's now in a place where he's fully reliant on God. But he also now has to walk the rest of his life with a limp. With a constant reminder of what it took to get him to a place where he could be governed by God. May may I encourage you this morning. There's something in your life that you haven't given over to him. There's something in your life that you haven't surrendered to him. If there is an area in your life that you are holding on to, give it over to the Lord. Do it now before he has to cripple you to get it. Do it now before you have to walk the rest of your life with a limp because you refuse to give over your flesh, your self-reliance, whatever it is. I don't know what that is in your life. But I encourage you to surrender it today before you find yourself crippled and walking with a limp. You know, Paul had his thorn in the flesh that he had to live with as a reminder that he wrestled with God too, right? Before God had to blind him on the road to Damascus. Well, we are out of time, so let's come to that fourth and final point before we close. That last confrontation, which was the confrontation that he was kind of anticipating this whole time, right? The confrontation by Esau, that Jacob is confronted by Esau. In chapter 33, we see this confrontation. Right now, Jacob lifted his eyes. He looked, and there Esau was coming. And with him were 400 men. So he divided his children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them, bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But verse four, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. 
fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given to your servant. And the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please. If I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I have seen your face, and though I had seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Please, take my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. So he urged him and took it, and Esau said, let us take our journey, let us go, And I will go before you. Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and the herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them them hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. And I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. And Esau said, now let, Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed in Succoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came to Padan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city, and he, brought the parcel of, he bought the parcel of land where they pitched his tent from the children of Hamar, or Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi, Israel. So Jacob finally gets this long-awaited confrontation that he's been preparing for, nervous about, fearful of. And he orders his family, as, as he sees Jacob coming with these 400 men, right, he orders his family, right, he puts the maidservants out front and their children out front, then Leah behind them with her four children, And then he keeps Rachel and Joseph closest to him. You can kind of see the pecking order in his family, right? I mean, Rachel was the wife he wanted. Joseph was the child he wanted. And so they're closest to him. The maidservants are like all the way out front. And then there's Leah and her kids. And then Rachel and Joseph right there with him. And then notice what Jacob does. Right, as Esau is approaching, Jacob bows in humility seven times. You know, and almost as if this is still an effort to appease his brother. You can almost see Jacob like, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. You know, seven times. I want to live. But again, I, I think Jacob has come to a different place in his life, a place where he has submitted to the Lord and to the Lord's will, right? He's no longer Jacob. He is now Israel. He's governed by God. And Esau comes running. Esau comes running and embraces his brother. And that they weep together, together. I mean, think about it. All that effort, all that worrying, all that fear, all that distress in Jacob's life, for what? For nothing. All 
that anxiety just to be embraced by his brother after 20 years? Why is it? Why is it that we can look back on our lives and we can acknowledge all the times that God has delivered us? Right? We can look back on our lives and look at all the times that God came through, that God delivered, that God fulfilled his promise. And yet somehow we continually struggle to look ahead with that same kind of confidence. I mean, maybe it's just me, but every time I come to a struggle in life, it takes me a second to realize that, you know what, God's been with me up until this point. Why would he not be with me now? Nothing's changed. If anything, if anything's changed, it's me, right? God hasn't changed. His promises haven't changed. But yet we continue to struggle to look ahead with that same confidence that we can look back at what God has done in our lives. Like God has somehow changed, like he's somehow different. You know, Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 25 says, you know, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry of its own things, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. Why? Do we worry? Why did Jacob spend all this time and all this effort worrying when he knew God was going to be with him? All that anxiety just to be embraced by his brother. And lastly, real quick before we close, I want to talk about Esau for just a second. Notice Esau in this story. Total forgiveness, right? 20 years ago, he wanted to kill Jacob. 20 years ago, he was seeking Jacob's life. Bitterness, envy, strife, gone. And instead, we see forgiveness. It's forgotten. It's in the past. Don't miss this. If you're holding on to bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, look this morning to the example of Esau. Right? Jacob had deceived him into giving away his birthright. Jacob had deceived him into receiving the blessing. And there was bitterness There was envy in Esau's life. And yet here we see it gone. And we see forgiveness. Right? Not even a word, not even a mention. Just simply an embrace. And the two weep together. So I would encourage you this morning, 
if there's any of that in your life, if there is any unforgiveness, if there is any bitterness, again, if there is anything that you are holding on to, let it go this morning. There's no room in our Christian lives for bitterness and for unforgiveness. Listen, if God can forgive you and me, we can forgive one another. If God can forget our sin and how we've wronged him, we can forgive one another. So let's look to the example of Esau this morning and let's forgive, let's forget, and let's not walk in bitterness. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you this morning for your word. God, for the example that these two men show us. God, that we can order our lives according to you. Lord, for you are with us. Lord, that your promises are yes and amen. And Lord, that we can let go of the things of this world, Lord, and we can press on, Lord, to you in your righteousness, Lord, to see your kingdom fulfilled in our lives. So God, would you go before us, Lord, as we, as we sing this song this morning, Lord, would you prepare our hearts for communion, God, and have your way in our lives, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So let's sing.